With Metro and the best deal in wireless, whatever your goal, however you hustle, you can rule your day. Get two lines with 5G access included for just $35 a month per line, period. With taxes and regulatory fees always included, so you know exactly how much you pay every month. All on America's largest 5G network at no extra charge. Plus, at Metro, get the latest 5G phones, like a Samsung Galaxy for less than 100 bucks when you switch. That's the best deal in wireless, so you can take control of your day wherever it takes you. Metro by T-Mobile, empowering you to rule your day. Requires auto pay. First month is $40 per line for two lines. Samsung A51 requires port from eligible carrier and ID validation limited to two per account. Coverage not available in some areas. See Metro by T-Mobile.com or store for details. Welcome back, listener. This is Aaron Richmond, and you are listening to Aaron's Opinion, the podcast for blind people where we talk about critical issues in the blindness community. Hey, by the way, before we go on, let me just remind everybody at home that tonight's episode of Aaron's Opinion is copywritten by Aaron Richmond and Aaron's Opinion. Thank you. Aaron's Opinion can be heard almost anywhere you get a podcast, from Apple to Spotify to Spreaker, you name it, we're probably there. We're also on YouTube. Give us a follow there. And you can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and you might even want to consider being a Patreon. Hey, you know what? Let me just tell you that tonight's episode, apart from all of those things that you might want to consider, you might want to consider thinking to yourself that listener discretion is advised for this episode, a very, very spooky one tonight, as it fits right into the uh, Halloween spirit. We're joined this evening somewhere from the universe by Ken Delbridge, the creator of Splice Studios and the Spook and Be Spooked, Be Spooked podcast. Um, for those of you who are blind in the audience, you will love to know that Be Spooked is a podcast where they tell, well, pretty much terrifying horror stories um, using a lot of sounds and excellent, excellent narration skills. Ken, welcome to Aaron's Opinion. Thank you for joining us this evening. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. So how did you, how did you get into this whole spook business? Well, my background is originally music. I studied in Los Angeles back in the late 80s at the Dick Grove School of Music, uh, based out of Van Nuys in Los Angeles. And from there, I went on and got a job in a jingle company, making sort of little poppy jingles with, with sing-along melodies that catching your ear. Uh, and from that, MTV came to Asia and based themselves out of Hong Kong, where I was. And they basically opened up the whole world of audio editing, audio mixing, and sound design, because they were, at the time, in the early 90s, very much a, a cutting-edge force in terms of creativity with sound. They loved doing anything and everything and pushing limits. So from there, I ended up kind of popping across the world, because at that time, being able to operate some of these rather onerous workstations, nothing like what you've got now, which is, for example, like Audacity and even GarageBand, which is free and comes with your PC and runs great. Back then, you needed something the size of a cupboard to just handle a mere eight tracks. That was considered cutting edge, and it was quite uh, an ugly interface to, to operate, but I was quite good at it. And I ended up doing stuff for MTV. I got a job for a while in Italy, working for um, a Saudi broadcaster. And I ended up back in Singapore, so sort of south of Hong Kong by about three hours by plane, uh, where MTV again had set up shop 
uh, having moved out of Hong Kong for tax reasons and uh, down to Singapore, they got the gang back together again. So I went from Italy back to Singapore. And from there, it's been a pretty good straight path. Uh, in 2004, I set up my own shop, uh, Supply Studios. It's initially just a one-man band. Now I work with a bunch of people, often just across the world, because it's so easy to work across the world by connecting with people. And the one thing which is always given prominence or sometimes lacks prominence in a lot of mainstream products is audio. MTV loved having great audio. A lot of other people just wanted audio that works. So I did a lot of documentaries for Discovery Channel, National Geographic, that sort of stuff. The storytelling was purely in text and in words. It wasn't necessarily with sound effects. It wasn't necessarily with music. Those were always on the play. And horror has always been one of those genres where great music, great sound effects really tells the story. And without it, it can fall so flat. So because of just the way you adapt to business, I was doing a lot of stuff for TV, for advertising. And about two years ago, we sort of pivoted across to podcasting because that was what clients wanted to do. And a lot of those podcasts that I did for corporations and for brands, well, they were quite dry. It was mostly the interview format, much like what we're doing right now. The option to have a little bit of fun and to really sort of stretch your creativity became obvious when just in looking around at what people were doing, you could have a podcast, which was fiction. Now, for me, it presented a couple of problems. I'm not a writer, so I needed to get help in the writing department. So I've been able to tap into a number of friends who quietly want to have their stories come out, which is great because... I tell them, hey, no limits. We can do whatever you want. You want profanity in there? That's okay. It may not be everyone's cup of tea, but if you think it's valid for your story, let's go with that. And then I will take care of the rest of it. From the work that I do, working with a lot of voiceovers and narrators, I have a, a good pool of voices. So if you listen to the, the episodes, you will hear some English accents. You'll hear some uh, American accents, which I think is more universally accepted because of the way American pop culture is so popular across the world. And what it's allowed me to do, because it is a self-funded in-house thing, is we keep it short. We keep it really, really short. If we keep it at two minutes, all the better, as long as we hit all those sort of points of being able to tell a, a good story with a twist and also to be kind of scary. So we've kind of settled in on the format that we like, which is at this point, four minutes uh, thereabouts, plus or minus a minute, and to be as spooky as possible and to have as good sound as we can, as, as, as sound to have as good sound as we can as possible. Excellent. The, everything, everything you've said is, is, really, is really, really fascinating, fascinating to me. I certainly hope that this episode will not be dry. I hope that oh. you will find, <laughs> I certainly hope that you will find this episode very interesting, even though I'm, even though I'm, I'm, I am interviewing you, but yes, that is, that is excellent. Well, I, I will tell you what really, what really gets it for me is that I just love hearing people who are able to speak English really well. You speak really well, by the way, you're a great oh, speaker. <laughs> Here. No, the, no. The way the way you speak, you should you should you should narrate more often. I would love to hear your voice on some narrations, but you know, for me, it's it's about as the as the listener to the podcast. It's about okay, is is it well written enough? So the content, is it voiced well enough? And then the sounds that kind of make it artistic and attractive, and then the spook factor at the end. Mm. That's really, that's really what it is for me. So I'm concerned about, you know, how well written 
um, it is uh, it is for me. Let's go back to something interesting you said. You said that in the past you've done some interesting documentaries uh, for yes. various networks. All right. What was um, your most unusual experience that you had while working on one of these documentary projects? A really shocking experience, spooky experience, a really strange experience that you never thought you'd have doing that project? Well, most of the documentaries, we do have an unseen narrator. Sometimes it's, uh, it can be a man, it can be a woman, it can be someone with a deep voice, it can be a light voice. Occasionally we get a celebrity narrator. Uh, it's not common. Uh, but we actually did a two-hour, and a split into two parts, uh, a two-hour documentary about Asian horror as a genre. And it explored the, the differences in how horror is perceived by a Western audience and how it's perceived by an Asian audience. Um, and we got the, I think his name is Anthony Head. He's an actor who was in the Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV series. Uh, he played, I guess, the professor, the older gentleman. Uh, and he was our narrator. And it was fascinating hearing someone who you're familiar with as an actor portraying his character. And then all of a sudden we were connected. Uh, we were in Singapore. Uh, he was in a studio in London and we were connected via ISDN, which is sort of lease lines. Uh, it's, I mean, it's a technical thing, which just basically means we get really good audio, but it costs a bit of money per minute. Uh, but he was a fantastic narrator. And just doing that, uh, that documentary was eye-opening because you realize that for a lot of American uh, horror genre, and this would have been, I guess, uh, when would this have been? Like 2005. Back then, American horrors had become really stuck in a rut. The sort of slasher movie concept was so obvious. You would get your cast, and almost immediately, you would know who was going to survive to the end. And it was typically the pretty yeah. girl, right? It was such a sure. right, right. All right, and then you knew, here comes the slasher, and he's always like, whatever, he's deranged, and he is going to kill people one by one. And it's just, and it was, it was so predictable. And then there was a film which came out, um, I think it was called The Ring. It was remade by uh, an American studio uh, in English with, I think, the actress Naomi Watts. Um, but the original one, it was just, you know, it was people watched a videotape, and then you had to give it to someone else within seven days. Otherwise, you would die. And the oh, thing yeah. which came on, uh -huh. was, right? Remember the ghost, uh, it was just, it was creepy in a different way, which was so unfamiliar compared to the American style that they couldn't really understand I mean, it was a hit and it was made in and it was a hit in, in English. Uh, and it, it sort of demonstrated how all of a sudden you don't have to be stuck with that sort of cliches. You can go completely sort of rogue and go off the ranch and just do whatever you want. And you can still bring plenty of spooks if you're willing to commit to just thinking a little bit out of the box. And for me, that suddenly thought like, gosh, you know, you think of American cinema as being I mean, you know, an American entertainment in general as being cutting edge. It has the biggest budgets. It, it, you can go to Hollywood regardless of what nationality you have. If you've got the talent, someone will make the various visa requirements happen and you can bring your vision uh, to Hollywood. They'll put a huge marketing budget behind it and you get to see your vision on screen. And obviously it has to have commercial returns for the studio. But there are some, you know, you look across the line of, of various famous directors and many of them aren't Americans. They've just ended up there because of um, economic reasons. And then you end up, unfortunately, because people are quite safe when it comes to risking big chunks of money for films, um, 
they end up doing the same thing. So the Asian audiences, which some of these movies, if you look at the original ones in the native language, you look at it and think, wow, that's actually quite badly lit. It's uh, the sound isn't great, um, but the idea is so innovative. It's so fresh and it allowed for a lot of different spooks, which now I think has improved American cinema uh, a lot. Cabin in the Woods, which was a movie uh, by the same director who did some of the Avenger movies, uh, he completely twisted the genre topsy-turvy. And that was, I think, the point when people started realizing, okay, American horror has got its mojo back and now it's much better. And those documentaries, they typically, they just want music as a pad. They don't really want huge sound effects. They want to concentrate on the voice. But doing that um, documentary on Asian horror showed me that, you know what? There's so much of storytelling is done not in words. It's done in music. If you want to portray someone as being a, uh, I think the phrase is, um, gosh, I can't remember, the, the un un untrustable narrator. You put spooky music on them. So even though the words that are coming out may seem logical, the fact that you've put that sort of sound very subtly in the background of sort of dissonant chords and, and tension with violins, you suddenly told the audience, listen to this person, but there's something not quite right. And that subtlety is, is I guess it's, it's a goal. It's, it's, it's kind of like the holy grail of like being able to lead people across this tension uh, from the beginning of your story until the reveal, because it keeps your audience thinking, what's wrong with this person? I know there's something here. And, and it's almost fun when you listen to, when you watch these movies with people, and especially if you're a bit chatty with friends, and you know, maybe perhaps you're, you're watching from home, um, and they'll tell you, I think they're the killer. And then you realize, oh, the director's done a really good job. The sound designer's done a really good job through very subtle things to, to plant that seed into someone's mind that there's something wrong with this particular character. What's going to happen? And that, in essence, is a spook because now you're aware. Exactly. Exactly. And for me, a lot of, you know, as, as someone who watches all of the horror content on YouTube, I mean, I, I watch all the channels on YouTube that deal with horror. Mm -hmm. So if, if you wonder, Aaron, do you watch that channel? Yeah, probably. Or I've seen it without necessarily realizing it. For me, <laughs> it is, it is the sound effects. It is the music. I mean, that's really, and the other thing about adding the music too, is that that can also make it like, in addition to being really spooky, as you mm -hmm. say, it can also be really soothing too. There's also this element of, um, how do I even phrase it? Kind of, kind of medicinal at the same time, kind of relaxing, kind of ebbing at the same time, I guess is the word. Very, very relaxing and very smooth at the, at the same time. And that's really what, you know, is, is very, very attractive, I think, to me as it, as it directly relates to, to the horror content. Has... In, in all of your experience in, in, in directing or working with directors or working in this, in this field, you mentioned the music. Has any director intentionally used music to mislead the audience on purpose? In other words, yes. and give a, can you give a really good example? Um, maybe, I'm, I'm 29 years old, so an example that okay. I, would, I would relate to. <laughs> uh, I, well... I think any time where, for example, Sixth Sense, I'm sure you're familiar with that one. Uh, I may, may not be. So I don't, I don't watch much horror movies. I only follow the horror content here or on, ah, on YouTube. Okay. So I'm just okay. into the YouTube style of it. Yeah, and the movies for me are, are just, you're very right. They're just, as you said, they're just too cliche and just too 
too visual and it's it's yes a, a lot of them a lot of these horror movies you know my my younger brother um he 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 loves horror movies and a lot of them are just too visual you know it's it's not really it's not really enough meat on it you know there's not enough storyline behind it you know for me the content if it is horror it has to have some story some material behind it or else mm. for me it's just really good cinematography and that's what i think a lot of people are are drawn to really good cinematography and really good special effects and i think that really draws people well but if you're blind that's really boring nothing personal but <laughs> I know. Yes. so it's like i totally understand why I, I totally get why horror horror movies in the states really kind of as you put it lost their mojo i think you said and now yes. they've really got it back with some you know much much better examples but what is the example that you were going to give in, in sixth sense maybe you can kind of illustrate well, it a little well I, I don't think i'm i'm spoiling the movie because it's quite an old it's an older movie uh, oh. but in the movie bruce willis is a child psychologist who's sent to help a child uh, who has uh, disturbing visions. Oh boy. Uh, and the phrase, which is it's kind of in the sort of public lexicon of, of great phrases, I see dead people. Mm, mm -hmm. So they hint it all the way through and right at the end, they reveal that all this time, the psychologist himself is dead, but he just doesn't realize it. And he's sort of moving through uh, the, the, the living world while he's dead and the child realizes from the get-go, hey, you're dead, you just don't get it. And the child is trying to tell him. So you have this and, and it's done in such a way where you keep thinking from the director's way of doing it that the child is the one who's like deranged. But then you realize at the end of it, this narrator, the, I think the phrase is unreliable narrator. So from the beginning, Bruce Willis, who shows up as a psychologist, you realize, oh, hang on, all along, we thought he was alive. He's actually dead. And they don't give that away. They don't, they don't betray it. They make all the music, all the sound effects. They're all very real world sound effects. There's nothing spooky about Bruce Willis's sound effects. The ones where the child sort of encounters ghosts, which talk to the child because he can talk and see ghosts. They have some sort of more supernatural, the sort of the jump cuts, the, the spooky sudden, um, uh, the brass or orchestra stabs, which sort of goes, zoom, scare you a little bit. That the sort jump, of stuff is, jump, is associated. In, jump scare. In American English, the jump scare. Jump yeah, scare, okay. The jump scare, go. yeah. So the ones, they're all focused on the child. And it's not until literally the last few minutes of the movie, mm. it's flipped around. And then it's revealed all along, you've been misled. The, old, the adult is dead. The child is completely normal. He just happens to see dead people. Brilliant. Brilliant script. Yeah, that would be br absolute brilliance. Yeah, that, yeah, that's a really, that's a really good. Yeah, I can see where that would be very, very successful. Um, but of course, I, I have to, I have to make you sweat a little bit here. I have to make you, <laughs> I, I have to, I, I have to try to just see what happens. So tell us out in the audience, someone would love to know, since you're so interested in horror content and since so much of your content is sent in to you, maybe by request from people around the world, uh, tell me about a recent um, supernatural experience or an unexplained experience that you might have had in your life. Have you had any? Um, I wouldn't say so, no. Uh, I, I live in you know, Asia. And there is a lot of folklore around here, which if you're not familiar with it, you don't realize it. And you just don't think, 
oh, but that's, you know, and, and the, the thing is, you know, you sort of say, well, isn't that explainable through science? Isn't that explainable through something uh, more straightforward? But then you see people who are very much, they have the conviction of their beliefs of something supernatural. Um, and it's ah. very, very strong. And you cannot dissuade people that they haven't seen a ghost, that they haven't been visited by a deceased relative, their mother, or whatever it is. Um, and you, you realize that there's almost a certain amount of, if you believe it that strongly, who are you as perhaps someone who wants to say, show me physical scientific proof? That, again, it's like, is, is what this person says, it's what that person says. Who's actually telling the truth? Right. I'm sorry if that, 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 doesn't, that doesn't achieve the, the, the on-the-spot on the sweating that you were hoping for. That is fine. That is, <laughs> that is fine. That is fine. No worries. No worries. But what, but what you said was, was very informative, that basically people um, – and I, by the way, I've done a lot of traveling all over the world. I lived in England for three months studying in wow. universe. Oh, I, I love England. It's wonderful. <laughs> It's a wonderful place. Don't let anybody tell you that England isn't perfect. It's perfect. And then I've been to, I've been to France three times because my second language is French, you know, Austria, Amsterdam, Poland, you know, all over Europe, uh, Swaziland in Africa. I've been all over the world. Um, but I, I, I do find that people have obviously have different beliefs and different perceptions of, of society um, in different regions of the world. Yeah. For example, for example, a really clear-cut example was when I was in Swaziland, one day we went, it was an organized tour, and we went to a, a, traditional, um, a traditional healer, a traditional medicine man. Okay. And there was some, um, b basically it was just the Swazi equivalent of a, of a trained pharmacist. But the difference was is that they, you know, they have like um, kind of a room with like all their potions and all their things like laid out all over the floor or on, on shelves. And they basically ask you questions about your spiritual health to understand what might be wrong with you physically. It's pretty cool and a little spooky and a little unsettling, but I totally get it. And it works that they've said, you know, that they work with the doctors uh, in the country and that their work as a medicine man actually does help. It does help people to live a healthy life. So it, you know, there's like different interesting things that you learn along the way like that. But no, I have, I've never been to Asia. I have heard that people um, in some Asian countries certainly believe in ghosts. In fact, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but in Thailand, there's some sort of a festival of ghosts or something yes, like that. There's yeah. some, yeah, yeah. Tell us, tell me a little bit more about that if you want. And if, if you know more about that. Yeah. Well, actually just recently uh, is the Hungry Ghost Month which is, uh, I think it's more of a Chinese thing. And this is when the gates of hell are opened for one month and everyone's allowed to come out. And what you end up doing is that people will leave offerings for the ghosts. And as long as you don't offend them, they will come take the offering. Uh, and a month later, the gates of hell close and the ghosts are all gone again. Uh, I have a five-year-old. And so trying to explain that to her was actually quite tricky because... A, you want to say, well, this is, you know, this is Chinese culture. This is what they believe. Uh, this is why you are seeing sort of, and, and people would leave these offerings literally on the pavement, outside a shop, outside a house. Uh, it would be sometimes just, you know, food which isn't immediately perishable. Uh, obviously, you leave something outside, you know, a cat's going to come along and grab it. But if you leave something like peanuts, a cat's not going to take it. A dog's not going to take it. Um, you might leave oranges and stuff like that. And sometimes you would burn um, a joystick 
which is these really tiny, very, very thin little things. And they have kind of a, a slow burn effect. They will literally go for like an hour before they go out. So trying to explain this to a five-year-old was interesting because there I am trying to explain to her, this is a belief of the Chinese people. Um, she is half Chinese. My wife is Chinese. She's Singaporean. So in explaining that to her, it sort of opened up new problems because you know, as a five-year-old, she has a very active imagination. And of course, then she thought, is there a ghost next to me right now? And that was kind of one of these sort of a parenting moment where my wife and I thought, oh, crap, we've just opened up a real Pandora's <laughs> box. And then we had to say, well, are you, a, have you been behaving? Have you, don't, don't, affect, don't kick over any offerings you see on the pavement, step over them, step around them. If you don't do anything mean to you, to them, they won't do anything mean to you. So you're fine. But, and we thought, okay, great. We got out of the, we dodged a bullet there, but she came back to it. Okay. But is there a ghost standing next to me right now? <laughs> and then, and we luckily, we live on the second floor. And we came up, we sort of fibbed on the spot. Well, ghosts can't go upstairs. According <laughs> 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 to the culture, that is not true at all. Uh, let are, me, let, 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 yeah. <laughs> See, there's this video I have. I can. Uh -huh. It shows a ghost walking up a flight of steps, right, right. But, you know, um, that's, that's really, I mean, it's re and it's really interesting to think about, okay, we produce this horror content, obviously for adults, which is ironic. Ironic in that most people who see ghosts and these entities or apparitions, most of them are children. For yes. the, and the belief is pretty straightforward that a child is more likely to believe that they saw a ghost. So mm. it goes both, that's the reasoning. So it goes both ways. Well, is it that the ghost is simply drawn to the child's spirit because the ghost knows that the child will probably see it better? Or are children more likely to say that they saw a ghost because the child doesn't have a filter? Probably two-way street, probably both is my, yep. is my, yep. perce is my perception. Um, Oh, I can t I'll tell you, I, I don't want to say it on, on the recorder, but I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you something. <laughs> I'll t no, no, because it's really, it's, it's really sad. And I don't, I don't want to distract people from listening, but I'll, t I'll tell you something that really kind of cool and kind of sad and definitely sad that happened to me a couple months ago. It's okay though, but, but I, I have to say it off the air. I don't want to make a big scene, but yeah, it's really, it's really fascinating how, you know, different, different cultures perceive, um, perceive horror and perceive that type of thing. So, okay. Now, back to the studio, back to your podcast. <laughs> so when you're looking at topics, obviously, like all the horror content, people say, well, if you've had a scary story, send it in to blah, 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 and blah, 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 at gmail.com, and we'll mm -hmm. take a look at it. So number one, how do you manage that? I'm sure that you get tens of thousands of submissions. And really, <laughs> how do you, what is the, you know, what is the um, uh, threshold for you know deciding what really makes the cut and real, what, what gets into Hollywood I guess what do you think uh, well we have a, a pretty straightforward well let me give you a little back a longer backstory on the podcast the the podcast is an in-house production of my studio we have done five uh, different in-house podcasts so far they've all been a different format uh, we had one which was a group panel discussion as a comedy based one. We had one which was uh, a straightforward interview. We had one where we recorded uh, spoken word poets, which is a, a sort of a very niche thing in and of itself. And then we had one which is more narrative style, where there's a lot of different interviews, which is mixed together with a common narrator. So this is a new one which we've done. 
And it was originally born out of the idea of the two-sentence horrors. And I think they were a viral thing somewhere around 2015, which was basically exactly what it sounds like. It's two sentences. So as, for a writer, they like that. It's like, okay, I've, this is the parameters. I've got two sentences. I can start with uh, something normal and then twist it in the second sentence, or I can start with something twisted in the first one and twisted even further in the second one. So for example, you know, you can have something saying, uh, I'm, I'm the last person alive in the world. There was a knock at the door, right? So right, right there, yes, like, it's, it's two sentence horror. Um, another one which I thought was quite cute was, I found a body in the trunk of my car, which is odd because I put two there this morning. So <laughs> there you go, right? So very, very, very simple format. And you can find them all over the internet and there's lots of them. And you realize that it's been so long that people have taken other people's two sentence horrors. They've changed the wording a little bit. They repost it as their own. So it gets to the point where you would honestly find it impossible to figure out who wrote the thing first. So in some ways it's in the public domain. And I thought, you know, it'd be fun. This is something I thought in July, wouldn't it be fun if we had a podcast where we just do these two sentence horrors and we put a little bit of music underneath it, but it's only two sentences and we'd have one every day from September the 1st up to Halloween. And we just treat it like a, a marketing exercise for the studio. Like, look, we did this fun thing. It was kind of cute. It was kind of nifty. We just did 61 episodes and that's it. Um, but then we ran into a problem. Two sentences, it's really hard to string out two sentences for anything longer than maybe 30 seconds. And if you include the usual stuff, which you have to include on a podcast, which is tell people which podcast they're listening to, and then you have your content, and then you have the bit at the end, which is, you know, get in touch if you want to. This is our website. Uh, say hello. You know, support us via Patreon. All of that stuff, that all takes time. So if you just have two sentences, that's too little. And we struggled with that. And then I, I, uh, what happened was I was in touch with some local um, writers, uh, fiction writers, and they initially were like, yeah, yeah, let's do two sentences. That's awesome. But when we came back, uh, they said, you know what? We really need more sentences. We can't get enough of a twist. There's just not enough time to cover it. Um, and then while we were brainstorming, uh, I remember the TV show. I mean, this would have been in the early 90s called The X-Files, mm, which I think was mm-hmm. a Fox. Uh, David Duchovny, Gillian, An- Gillian Anderson. Uh, and they, their, their show structure had what they call a cold opening. If, if come out of the ad break and straight away you just be dropped into the, the middle of something that was ongoing and it would end, it would be typically two to three minutes and at the end of it there would be something really scary and then it would go to the main title music the sort of the classic, uh, the Mark Snow music with the, the echoey and then you'd have the whole, the rest of the episode where they would expand across this initial spooky idea so eventually Bespooked became the idea that let's do these cold opens. They're only a few minutes long. There's lots of sound design in them often, and you get just a little bit of a tease. You're not committing yourself to writing a whole movie or writing a novel. You just get the opportunity to say, here's a great idea. Let's make this into a short story. And the thing where you say, what gets into Hollywood? Well, the first thing is, it's gotta be something which we can do with sound. If it's something visual, then that doesn't help. It's impossible to, to in, in sound, and, and this is something which was so intriguing when you contacted me saying that your audience is people who have, um, who either partially sighted or, or completely blind, that this is, you have to tell people, you can't just 
imply it, you have to state it. And I actually, in doing my research, I went all the way back to listening to um, Orson Welles, who back in the day, I mean, he's, he's uh, passed away quite a long time ago, but he used to have, he was active in the era of radio before movies were that popular. And he would do these great dramas. And all he had was a couple of actors. He had, I believe, uh, an orchestra with him that played the music live. And then they had a guy doing the sound effects. But some of the stuff, it was so simple. The story was so clear, but you always had to tell the audience one way through something or something else, via sound effect, via music, or actual words spoken by the actors, this is what's going on because you can't assume people. People do not have the ability to see a cue from your storyteller. It all has to be from sound. And I think that's the point where we started getting into the idea that, okay, it has to be done via sound. And from, I guess, a bit of a selfish point of view, it's like, okay, we have a studio. We have a lot of plugins. We can do a lot of special effects. Let's find something that's genuinely interesting from a sound perspective first. Obviously, the story has to be good. Otherwise, it won't work. But let's have something where the sound, we can really get people immersed into this. And I think for, for podcasting, it's a little tricky because some people do listen while they're commuting or while they're doing something else. We really want people to be able to, you know, focus on just the sound, put headphones on, block out the rest of the world and just like let sound be the only sort of stimuli to you and let us tell you a story and we're going to tell it with sound. And that's basically what we do. Right now, what we've done with our scripts is that we ran into a problem where a lot of the, the scripts that were being submitted relied on some element of visuals. And we would point this out to the writer and say like, well, if we, we didn't want to do a narrator style thing where someone just talks about stuff in the sense that uh, it was a very dark night. For us, that does like, well, we have a huge collection of thunder, of rain. We have all this stuff. Like, we don't need to say that out loud. There's no point. And so the final thing which we did was, and it relates largely to the X-Files opens, is that we became dialogue driven. So instead of having the narrator, we were just going to have things spoken by music or spoken by sound effects in the sense that we're going to convey this information to you, but we won't say it out loud. If you listen, you will understand. If you hear rain and you hear thunder and you hear that you're in an open space, you know you're in a forest. We don't have to say the forest was dark. So at this point, what's happened is we've had some stuff which we've had to largely, we've gotten good stories and we've had to really rewrite them to fit our format where we don't want the narrator, we just want dialogue. So how do we get people to tell you things without it being too much of a narrator role? So the challenge we're facing right now is we are open to submissions. Um, but so far, the ones we've gotten, we always, it feels a bit awkward when we have to tell people, you know what, based on it being pure dialogue, and so many people are used to having a narrator element in their sort of written novels that we have to come back and say, that doesn't translate to what we're trying to do. Can we work with you to make it work such that it works in this format? So bit of a challenge, but I think as we've only got four episodes out, so we're kind of new to the thing. Uh, I think eventually we will be able to have um, people submit and understand, okay, this is the format. They want dialogue. I cannot rely on a narrator to do stuff, which I think for some writers, they enjoy the challenge. I, th- I think uh, hopefully your, your listeners would perhaps consider submitting some stuff as well. And by the way, 
before mm. I give myself a plug, how would a listener of Aaron's opinion reach out to you? This has been, I got to say, every, this is the 103rd, I believe this is either the 102nd or 103rd episode of Aaron's opinion. Wow. Every, everything. Well, well, there, well, there you. Well, thank you. <laughs> you got, you got. Let me tell, let me tell you something. You got to stick to this. You know, you can't just, you can't yes. just, you can't just take off for Halloween. You know, you got to, you got to stick to it, man. But if a, if a listener to Aaron's opinion wanted to wanted to get in touch with you for any reason, how would they do that? Well, they could just get to us via our website, which is bespootpodcast.com, um, and just fill us a note through the contact form. It'll get right to me. Easy as that. Easy as that. And what is, and you know, you know, I'm someone, as I said, I'm someone who's blind. I love horror. You know, I love telling stories too, you know. What if I wanted to be featured on one of your stories as one of the voices? Sure. We would, well, (laughs) the thing, I'll I'll be honest, I'll be completely honest with you. Um, For for the, your audience, which may or may not, I mean, maybe they all, this is the way everyone does it, but you communicated with me largely via voicemail. And initially when I, I heard the voicemail, I heard something in the background that sounded like someone queuing a tape. And I listened to something very quickly and I realized you were listening to my message to you played back at, I guess, double speed, maybe even three times. Oh, that must have been voiceover. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I remember thinking like, because uh, your voice memos always seem to time out to 59 seconds. I guess that's the limit of the, the thing, but you, I don't think anything, any of the messages you sent me, you were cut off mid-sentence. Because I time it with my finger. I, I know. know. Because at some point I was thinking, there is something seriously wrong here. How does he know that it's coming up to 59 second limit? Oh, well, I have usable vision, so I, I, look at the, I, I look at the clock and time it like ah, that. Okay. And, then I pick my, and then I remember my sentence and interrupt myself just to push the button and then keep the sentence going in the next one. <laughs> okay, mystery solved. Um, yeah, I, I, the, one of the reasons I really enjoyed your voicemails was because I thought, he has a nice voice. He could be quite useful. <laughs> I would be, um, I would be, I would seriously, I would, I would be honored. I do, I will certainly, um, I want to end this episode and then I'll t- I'll tell you something else. I do have, I do have to get going. Well, okay, everybody, sure. well, everybody from around the world, I am going to be posting this episode right now, but I just want to say we from Aaron's opinion, we want to wish you a very safe and very happy and please, please, please a very healthy, keyword healthy Halloween 2020. Please be safe. Please be happy. And of course, please be spooked. As I, of course, always like to say on my podcast, and I'm sure uh, you will be back on this podcast. You're always welcome here. Have a good day today and a great day tomorrow. Come stay and play at Live Casino and Hotel. Welcome to one of the biggest casinos in the country with luxurious clean rooms, upscale dining in the grandest payouts now offering stay and play and all in packages including $50 free slot play VIP parking VIP casino access and more book now at livecasino.com or call 443-445-2929 at Arundel Mills must be 21 please play responsibly for help visit mdgambling.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER 
come stay and play at Live Casino and Hotel. Welcome to one of the biggest casinos in the country with luxurious clean rooms, upscale dining, and the grandest payouts. Now offering stay and play and all in packages, including $50 free slot play, VIP parking, VIP casino access, and more. Book now at livecasino.com or call 443-445-2929 at Arundel Mills. Must be 21. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgambling.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER.